Welcome to Between the Lines, an Oaks Church Brooklyn podcast where we go behind the scenes of our current series, The Story of God, alongside our pastors and a few friends. We hope you enjoy. Welcome, Oaks Church. This is Patrick, your lead pastor. I'm here with Ryan. Hey, everyone. How you doing? Uh, and as you know, we are fully into our Story God series. And each week, we're going to be bringing you this podcast, which will be a deep dive and kind of take a look behind the scenes of this series, some of the topics that come up on our Sunday teachings. And we'll have some guests here from time to time. But for today, uh, Ryan and I just want to kind of talk a little bit about a question that came up after the service. So to frame it, uh, Ryan, you were, you were not there. You were celebrating an anniversary. Yeah. I need the recap now. Yes. Well, I'm going to give it to you. You can listen to the podcast, but, uh, as we were setting up this kind of the waypoint into creation and fall, this is the first chapter of the 16 that we've entered in the series. Uh, And we were setting the context, particularly around, you know, the, the Bible or the old Testament being written in light of the Enuma Eilish and this kind of Babylonian creation myth and written by Israelites coming uh, through exile. And out of that, we were, we kind of came this concept of, Oh, the, the Bible is a story. And so the question that came was, okay, I hear you that the the, the Bible is a story, um, and I'm intrigued by the series and where we're going, but I have a concern. And the concern was that stories, by and large, can be unreliable. Yeah. And so what would follow then is if we're saying that the Bible is a story— does this then make the Bible mm. unreliable? Yeah. And then to go a step further, uh, if I can somehow square that round peg, um, how do I know? How do I know when the Bible uh, should be taken at what seems face value? When 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 do I need to know that I should have had a you know gone to seminary or to Bible <laughs> school in order to trust what I think it's saying or or to be able to read it correctly? Like how do I build my life on this thing? Mm. That's a story. Yeah, that's a fascinating question. A, a, a light question for Sunday morning. Yes, know? yes, <laughs> especially coming off a, a red eye. We were. But yeah, the, the the first thing that comes to mind when that question when i hear that question is firstly like all the expectations we bring to a text like the bible and depending on our location and the kind of traditions we grew up in we have a lot of different expectations of what the bible is for some the bible was framed for them as like this encyclopedia of faith so you kind of can open it up anywhere get some good theology for Mm -hmm. your life for others their their conception of the bible is rooted in like this is a essentially a almost like an historical account, like video camera footage of the ancient past. And because of that, that means that in order for the Bible to be true, it must be like watching like an old VHS tape. Yes. Like I can, can I was there, someone held the camera, look, we can get eyewitness footage of this. Law and order ESV. Exactly. <laughs> and so when you come to the text like the Bible and you just do even a light bit of reading, you'll realize 
that those kind of ways to look at the text are impositions. They're modern impositions, which you'd call in fancy theological terms, anachronisms. So we're reading something, a, a perspective of the Bible into the text, and it makes it jarring because then the text refuses to conform to that. Hmm. You mentioned something there that I think would probably be helpful even for those listening. You talked about depending on our our location and our orientation yeah. uh, for the Bible, and it feels like it would be helpful for us to share what what's our yeah. location and orientation. So, why don't you start? How do you how have you received the Bible, and how do you receive it now? Yeah, that's. Phenomenal question. So I kind of grew up in the kind of charismatic non-denominational space. And so we had a weird relationship to the Bible um, because in our tradition, what was more important than the Bible were these kind of spiritual experiences. So the way I viewed the Bible was because I've had these spiritual experiences and these spiritual experiences are witnessed to in this text, I can trust this text. Hmm. Then I went to high school and college and I did a bit of reading and I realized, oh, this text is far more complicated um, than I realize. And so what I had to do was say, what are the merits of this text on its own? How do I relate to this text as is, even if I had none of those experiences, could mm-hmm. this thing still be true, right? Because that is ultimately the question. If the text is reliant on my experience, then what do I do with this text, even if it's full of these kind of tensions. So what I had to was go on a journey of like, what is this text for me? How do I receive this text? And really I had to then turn to the person of Jesus and how did Jesus receive these texts and interact with them? And that kind of became, became my basis rather than trusting my own kind of personal experience to legitimize this text I was engaging with. I, I, I reoriented and said, well, because Jesus use this text as the foundation for his story and his teaching, and he's doing radical things with it. Mm-hmm. I can, if I'm going to trust the person of Jesus the de- in his death and resurrection, then I can kind of trust these texts, rife with the tensions that even Jesus points out in his own teaching. So I didn't have to kind of explain away or ignore parts of the text. Um, I could actually enter into those kind of mysterious pieces. We see Jesus himself in his teaching and ministry entering those places. Mm. And so kind of my reading in the location of the text became a Jesus kind of what you'd call a Christocentric um, approach to the text, where I, I approach through the person of Jesus. And that's kind of where I am now. Um, and what, what has always been helpful has been the actual personal experience of faith. But now that's not the thing I'm using to kind of well, you know, this Bible doesn't make no sense, but I have this kind of personal thing over sure, here. Sure, sure. Yeah. That's interesting. I I mean, I grew up Baptist. Uh, we, you know, the Bible is the Word of God. Yeah. You know, uh, and all that you need for life. And it is inerrant, and that's something I think we should touch on a little bit later. Like, yeah. Our, our concepts of inerrant, but the the concept of inerrancy that I grew up with was there is not a a tilde or a comma or <laughs> a, a quotation mark out of sorts. Yeah. Like everything in this Bible is a hundred percent true and accurate, and for the most part literal. And I would say not even for the most part. I, I grew up in a in a very literalist kind of society that that kind of took uh yeah you know. This is what the Bible says, and this is exactly yeah. the way it happened, and uh, and and this is yeah how we relate to it, and so that was that was formative for me, and then around that was kind of these these stories of people 
like uh, George Mueller, who you know was a was an English priest and, and ran an orphanage uh, in I think like the, the late 1700s. And uh, you know, if you ever read George Mueller's autobiography, there's all these stories of how George Mueller said he was n- never going to ask a man for anything, and he had these incredible mm. prayers of faith. And and this is kind of who like he thought God to be. God always came in at the last mm. moment. That's important because uh, kind of somewhat to what you were saying about you kind of started with experiences and allowed the experiences to shape your text. For me, it was inverted. I had the text and then the text would would shape my experiences. Mm. So it was like, uh, you know, when the the scriptures say that, hey, uh, like God— God doesn't ever tempt us mm. or God will provide. Like, does he not provide for, for the, for the lilies in the yeah, valley? Yeah. He's not provide for the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like he's, he's what I drew from that then from the experience and like spirits of George Mueller is like, Oh, God's never late. You know, mm. Oh, this is what it means when it says that God is, is faithful and doesn't break yeah. faith. It means that he, he may come in at like the, 59th second but he's gonna he's gonna like come before the night passes so anyway uh when i left home started life started like you know my first ministry job and i've talked a lot about this uh throughout many teachings i've told the story but the short version of it is i i ran into the the opposite of that (laughs) like I, i ran into these times where God didn't come through where the doorbell didn't ring and 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 mm. that check didn't slide under the door, the food didn't come. And that for me was very disorienting because it challenged my conception of God was which then challenged my understanding of the text. And when that all fell apart, I entered this kind of six-year dark night of the soul and how I would say it is, I really had to move from a Bible follower Mm. to becoming a Christ follower. Yeah. And and then I think we ended up in the same place that then oh this is about the the person of Christ and my being in relationship with him even now through the spirit of God. And so now that relationship expresses itself in different ways, yes, my my experiences, uh, yes, my desires, yes, my feelings, and also the text. And so now the text then uh, is still is maybe more valuable to me, and I find more able to to aid me in healthy living, but only in as much as it helps me see Christ, not so much in how it helps provide instruction for daily living. Like, does that make sense? Yeah. And I I think what you're getting at is it's what's always, it's what's interesting about what's kind of happened in Christianity in the last hundred years is like for, you look at the early church fathers, their entire reality is rooted in the Christ event. Yeah. So everything about who they are, what they understand is rooted in this person and this event that happens. And then you kind of get post-Reformation, 
and the kind of the rise of the intellectual mind and the idea of faith being intellectual ascent to knowledge yes and rooted out of this person in this event and so what you get is what we what you like your your experience which is a, a christian faith that says actually which without saying it is the bible's god yes and if i trust the bible i might get to the person of jesus but the bible's first yes Yes. Yeah, exactly. So it's a subtle Gnosticism or yeah. I need this special knowledge and that's that's what's true. So I think to bring it back then to that concept of of the story then, because uh, how I would hear what you're saying is uh, we can't substitute the word of God for the being or presence of God. Yeah. You know, which... It's interesting, right? Like I think mm-hmm. about like we're both married and like um I you know, I just watched uh, a a video on the internet, you know, scrolling, and it was this son who for Christmas used like voice AI, which that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> um but he used this like vocal AI software to make a a like Christmas card for his mother um, from his dad that they had lost last wow. year. And so he used like his dad's voice and recordings to like make a, a message kind of like from the grave. Right. Wow. And, uh, and so there's this moment where he sits his mom down and he hands her like the, the frame and it's like pictures and it like speaks and he's like telling that he loves her. And I don't know how I would feel about that. She was very touched, uh, and I did find myself crying. Uh, but I, and so I, yeah, there's something that was beautiful there. Like clearly, hearing the voice of her her deceased husband was so moving and was a form of intimacy and connection. But I would imagine if she had the choice yeah. to have her husband back or just his voice. Just his words. She, I'm gonna. You're gonna take the husband. Like I'm gonna yeah. take Catherine. You're gonna take Janice. Yeah. And yet, it seems like sometimes when we come to God, it's like, no, nah, just give me the card. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think it's because I think that's safer, right? I think a a text that is bound in a book in front of you, laying on a desk, can be ignored, can be avoided, can be explained away. What there's this verse in Hebrews that I always come back to. It's one of my like life verses, you know. As I guess if that's a concept you have, like verse that kind of define your relationship with God. And there's one translation of the verse in Hebrews says, you know, it's a terrible thing to be in the hands of a mm-hmm. living God. And what reason why I love that verse because the implication is, you no, know, it's the easiest thing in the world to be in the hands of a dead God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you no, know, it's a terrible, frightening yet beautiful reality to be in the hands of a God that's living, that can demand things of you, that can ask things of you, that can call your to your attention things you want to avoid. So I think there's a sense of comfort there. Like if I just get the text, if, and I don't have the presence, if I don't have this sense of real encounter with the living, resurrected Jesus, then yeah, I can take a text, turn to my few favorite passages, and ignore the voice of God. Yeah, I get that. And I think that, you know, I'm kind of thinking, too, there also is an orientation where I think we have to be just, like, truthful is that, like, even in where that analogy I gave about the, the card or the metaphor I gave about the card falls yeah. short uh, is that, like, we know what it 
we know what it feels like to hold our wives, you know, yeah. to like be in yeah. relationship with you. We've never had God yeah. physically in front of us. Mm. And so what I think many of us have been given is this kind of sense of like, that's what the Bible is. Mm. The Bible is the physical manifestation of God in some ways, mm. right? I think like when I heard that question too, I think that was some of it was like, hey, this is this is why I need it to be truthful because when I want to hold yeah. God, I grab my Bible, you know? I flip to that passage and the spirit leaps off of me. And so then if you're telling me that like, oh, there may be gaps here or, oh, this may be a story, yeah. um, then in some ways you're 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 kind of reducing this god to a ghost you know mm. to to visions yeah. <laughs> i may be deluded so i think we should like really speak yeah speak to that cuz i don't think that's what we're we're really putting forth yeah and so when i when i hear that question i think to that kind of that that fear of of i have to know this text to be utterly sure because it's connected to my being able to be anchored in God, who I cannot see, who I cannot, you know, hold. I think there's something that's slipping into that understanding of what the text should be that's worth pointing out. That when that certainty we, we want is, 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 as you mentioned it before, with your own upbringing, like this kind of literal approach to the text that alleges this thing is literally true. That is, Every, everything down to the final dot and tittle, as Jesus says, is cannot be disputed by history or science. Then I can find some, some, some safety. Mm-hmm. But the question has to then become, does something have to be literal to be true? Hmm. And I think you, you, when, you, when you're telling me a bit about the Q&A, you spoke to us a bit. Um, but it is something like when we use metaphors and similes, those metaphors aren't literally true, right? Uh, when you say something is like something, we use a simile, something mm-hmm. is like a raging fire. The thing is not raging on fire, but the, 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 it's true. It's yeah. true about the thing. And so I think that's an important thing to think of when, we, when I hear that question is something being literal does not mean it's true, and it doesn't have to be literal to be true. Um, if something is, a, a poem can be true, even though the poem describes things that aren't literal. Well, and what that rings in me is, is the definition of true. Because I think in in Western thought, um, when we talk about true, we mean, or at least what I have often meant, is uh, immovable, indisputable factor data. Mm. And I love uh, Parker Palmer. in his in his book, uh, it's about knowledge and and epistemology. He gets back to the Germanic roots of truth and the word troth, uh, which where we kind of derive like betrothal. Like, mm-hmm. and so truth is is not about like this kind of abs, this kind of like distinct, apart from me, immovable set of 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 datum, mm-hmm. but it's about that which holds us into relationship. Yeah. Mm. So what is true is that which is allows us to be in communion. And so that means like, hey, this when when I ask you for a glass of water, you're not going to bring me 
bleach, you know, because we've agreed that water is like the thing that flows and comes out of the tap. Mm. And so that then allows us like, yeah, that's true. This is this is what we hold. And so I think that's important, though, because when we talk about because uh, I think there's a way of hearing like saying, oh, we don't really think the Bible is true. And that's not at all. No, yeah, yeah. That's, that's not at all the, the what's being put forth. I think what's being put forth is. Um, and this is kind of how I answered that question in the moment is that the opposite of faith is not doubt, but it's confidence. I, I don't need faith if I'm confident. Uh, mm. And the Bible calls us to faith because it is, I would say, primarily a story, as is all things. And stories have gaps because you can often there's what it's trying to say and what it says mm. and so there is no story that you can base your life upon that doesn't have that doesn't require faith that doesn't hit mm. into the inherent problem with stories so you could take science you could say well the Bible is is for for you know simpletons and children, uh, and so I'm going to live in a, a life based on empiricism. And what you find is that the scientific method is literally just about can I tell this same story uh, under right. the same conditions over time and let that be reviewed by other people trying to tell that same story. Mm. It's all stories. And you can ask Pluto. Sometimes the story changes. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no there's no. There's nothing you can build your life on that doesn't, in the end, reduce down to story. Mm. And so then what has to happen, I would say, is that we have to say, what story am I going to place myself in? Mm. And I think this is where the Bible comes in because the beautiful thing about this story is that it doesn't stand in isolation. But this is where my experience is come to play taste and see that i am good this is where the the created world comes to play the heavens declare the glory of god the skies reveal the works of his hands like like this is where like the spirit moves and testifies to the one Mm -hmm. and so we we enter the text and we use the bible in a harmony of experiences uh, of observable things, of our feelings, all these then tell the truth. Right. And that's where I can now enter relationship with God because uh, we can find some some level of agreement on who Jesus is and what this story reveals about the character and nature of, of Yahweh. You know, as you're talking, it reminds me of this quote from St. Anselm, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury, um, you know, in, 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 you know, time, time past. And he had this great quote. He says, you know, that he basically said, summarized the Christian faith as, as faith seeking understanding. Mm. And so for, for, for St. Anselm, what you begin with is when he, when he says faith, it's not just like belief. He, he says, you, be, you begin with the person, you begin with the Christ event, you begin with the person of Jesus. And as I enter into that, and remember before, again, before the Reformation, the, the most seminal part of of, of, of the Christian experience was not the teaching of the text, though that was very important. It, it was the meal. It was the Eucharist. It was the, it was the retelling the story by this ritual act of eating that reminded me that Christ was with me, that his death and resurrection was real, and now he dwells with me personally. And so that, that faith, that kind of 
that kind of rooting our, our, our lives around the person and work of Jesus, that becomes the jumping off point for deeper understanding. Mm-hmm. And so you can apply the same thing to the scriptures that I come to the scriptures with confidence and, and with, a, with, a, with, a, with a held um, position towards the person of Jesus. And he becomes my jumping off to, for deeper understanding. What we've reversed is we want understanding seeking faith. Mm. We want to have everything, all the ducks in the row. We want to have all, all, everything kind of parsed out, and then we'll kind of arrive at a deeper faith in God. And actually, the, the process, I think, according to St. Anselm, is reversed. We, we begin with, with, the, with, the, with the mustard seed of faith. We begin with the kernel of truth about who Jesus declared he is in his death and resurrection and ascension. We, we begin with the communion table and say, I take part of this meal and I experience the presence and reality of God in community, in, in, in prayer, in sacrament. And then from there, I, I launch off that into kind of the deep end. But that's always because my, that's my North Star. That's, that's my anchoring point. And if we want to begin with, I need to have all this figured out and then I'll arrive at this position of faith. I think that's proven time and time again to be a, a difficult place to start from, especially with a story. Mm, that's good. That's good. Well, I think uh, I think we've kind of dove enough. Is there any final thoughts you would offer, or something you'd point people to a, a, a book? A, yeah, to That's... kind of know more. Go here. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I guess maybe a, a thought and a resource. I think a, a quick thought would be just to be cognizant. Um, there's this thing we do when we come to the Bible where we desire utter objectivity and we think the Bible is utterly objective. The reality is what we know about human beings is the Bible was written by humans, inspired by God, but written by humans and even ourselves as readers, we are not objective. Mm. And so there will, by the very nature of who we are as people, be a, a wrestling with the subjectivity of our own reading of the text and the subjectivity of the writer of the text, who is, though inspired by God, God did not push aside the writer's ability to form thoughts and opinions yeah. and to be informed by his, his or her environment. So I'll be, a, I'll be a thought, just something to ponder. And then a resource, I think a, a great place to um, just like, how can I just begin a grip of like, what kind of story is this? And like, as we're reading thousands of year old texts, it's in English now, apparently, mm-hmm. but it's thousands of years old. And to assume we can come to it without any kind of background knowledge is kind of, kind of wrong. So a great orienting book, um, Gordon Fee wrote this book called How to Read Scripture for All It's Worth. It's a phenomenal starting resource with all the basic questions of like, how do I read biblical poetry? And what, how did the Israelites understand things like history and narrative? That's a great starting resource. Great. I love it. I love that that final point. Uh, that reminds me of one of my favorite books of probably the last few years, uh, Esau Macaulay's Reading While Black. And yeah. this kind of understanding that we don't, the Bible was not written without um, the residue of people, and, and it's not read without the residue right. of who we are. So I, I love that. I think for my resource, uh, there's this. Fantastic scholar, uh, his name's Ryan Diaz, and he does this <laughs> this course called uh, "How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth." Now you know I stole the title of the course. <laughs> yeah, too. I see that. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so that's coming. Uh, when, when's the next? I believe February third. February third, Saturday. So uh, there'll be more info if you're part of the community. You can find all the info on how to come to that class. 
that would be a great place to start and ask her your questions. But for now, uh, awesome. Yeah. Uh, love love doing this. We'll be back next week uh, as we uh, start fully into the story yeah. with the creator. So yeah. looking forward to, to talking about that. And uh, love you, Oak Church. And until next time. Until next time.